0: Cool. well, open your Bibles with me to John chapter 5. And um was reading some particular scientific studies this week um, about the topic I'm going to be talking about, and I um, found some very interesting things. <laughs> um, <laughs> grumpy cat is just... <laughs> Oh, am I supposed to be preaching right now? Put your phone away. That's what you should be saying to me. We live in the most distracted time in history. We do. Let's call it what it is. We live in the most distracted time in history. I'm just going to be honest with you. If we're having a conversation together And you've got to pull your phone out. I am just going to assume that it needs your immediate attention. Otherwise, we are not going to be friends. (laughs) Because it's rude. It's rude, yo. (laughs) (laughs) Granted, if I'm already on my phone and then you start talking to me, it's a different story. I'm probably tending to something. You could give me a moment. I can't give you my full, undivided attention today, but. It's a distraction is what it is. We can't even engage in an an open and honest dialogue with people half the time because we've got distractions everywhere. And if it's not your or my phone going off, it's somebody else's phone or it's some other screen that's in front of us. We can't even take our kids out to eat without there being like a television on. My seven-year-old's like this the whole time. can you please turn the TV off? I'm trying to have a family meal. We live in the most distracted time in history because we have these devices on us 100% of the time. If you don't keep your phone on you 100% of the time, yes, you deserve applause. We suck at not being on our phones. My wife and I have to constantly remind each other to not be on our phones because we need to give our kids our attention, but whether it's work-related or relationship-related or, as I'm going to tell you right now, spiritually-related, oh, I mean, can we not give God like five minutes? Dear Lord, I need your... We can't even pray sentences sometimes without getting on our phone. You know what that says to God or the person that's in front of you? I've got something better to do. Ouch. Ouch. I have something that's more valuable to me than you. That's what you're saying in that moment. And that's part of what I want to talk about today. Because of the distracted time in which we live, we have to get out of and away from distraction in order to be made aware of what God is doing and what God is saying to us. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. I was reading about some studies about distraction. One of the things that, that I came across was how listening versus hearing is defined. And uh, the University of Minnesota and Duluth in particular, with doing a particular study with men and women and distractions and whatnot, um, they defined it in this way. They said hearing is simply the act of perceiving sound by the ear. If you're not hearing impaired, hearing simply happens. Listening, however, is something you consciously choose to do. Listening requires concentration so that your brain processes meaning from words and sentences. We hear many things every single day, but we actually listen to and process very little in comparison. So you and I, we hear every single day, we suck at listening. And if saying suck in the pulpit offends you, well, I'm sorry. (laughs) But we're bad at it. We're bad listeners. (laughs) We're not good at it. Not because we don't enjoy listening, but because we're distracted by something else. And usually that something else is a device that's rectangular shaped and is on our person 100% of the day. But God needs our attention. He does. And if we're going to be in alignment with his perfect plan and will, he needs that attention. Not only that, he's God. He spoke. Light came into existence. You were made because he allowed it. He deserves your attention. John chapter 5, if you're there, say, uh huh. All right. So we have this miracle that takes place beginning in verse 5. There's this guy, he's lame. And he can't walk, and Jesus there, he's like, you want to get well? And he was like, okay, Jesus says in verse 8, stand up, pick pick up your mat, and walk. And so we fast forward a little bit. Um, The Jewish leaders were upset because Jesus healed this guy on the Sabbath and then told him to pick up his mat. So we're going to start here in verse 16. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called, him, he called God his father, thereby making him himself equal with God. Verse 19. So Jesus explained... I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man, and then you will truly be astonished. He will even raise from the dead anyone he wants to, just as the father does. So, getting into the meat of today's message, when you walk out of this place today, there are two questions that I want you to ask yourself and ask God. And those two questions are, what is God doing and what is God saying? What is God doing? What is God saying? Because if you can't answer those two questions, you should stop what you're doing immediately. And I say that very seriously and intently Because in any conversation that you have with someone or God, in any action that you may partake in, if you are not aware of what God is saying or what God is doing, then you're probably doing it wrong. You're probably doing it contrary to what God would have you say or have you do. Jesus made it very clear. He said, I only do what I see the Father doing. He didn't say that I sometimes do it or I often do. He said, I only do. Very simple. I only do what I see the Father doing. Can you and I say that about the things that we do? Ryan, you want to go see Spider-Man later? Oof, I only do what I see the Father doing. No, that's super spiritual. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I often have people come for counsel and different things, and I'm sure everybody's had someone come to them for advice. I often tell people, I don't know, let me pray. Because if I'm going to provide counsel for someone, and I'm not talking just as a pastor, but I'm talking about us as believers. The Bible says we're going to be held accountable for everything we did or didn't do and everything that we said or didn't say. But we're going to stand before Christ to be held accountable for that. So I want to be sure that if I haven't prayed into someone's life or in a particular situation, if I am not aware of what God is doing and what God is saying, that I am not going to speak out of turn because God forbid that my flesh should step into a situation and provide counsel that is contrary to God's perfect plan and will for that person's life. But this goes far beyond that type of conversation. Everything that we do and everything that we say should be rooted in God's plan, his perfect plan and his perfect will. And if you don't know what that perfect plan and perfect will is, well, you just got to ask, God, what are you doing and what are you saying? And if we're too distracted to tap into what God is doing and saying, then we really shouldn't be doing or saying anything at all. That's the truth. So I've got four points for you today as we go through this message. And I've got a ton of scripture, a ton of scripture. So I'm gonna be breezing over so much of this. I've got probably dozens of scripture I'm not even gonna get a chance to say or even reference or read. But if you're following along in the app, the scriptures are in there. You can check them out later. If you don't have the app, download it. Not now, because that would be a distraction for yourself and your other the others around you, but download the app later. And get into the scriptures because they're really good. So here's my first point. Number one, God is always at work. God is always at work. Verse 17 here in John chapter 5, Jesus replied, My Father is always working and so am I. I'm sure we've all been in a situation or circumstance where we've often wondered, God, what are you up to? Where are you at, God? I need a miracle. I don't see you. I don't sense you. Maybe somebody's coming to you and they're, they're saying those things. God is always at work. That's what Jesus says right here. And there's evidence of that in scripture, several scriptures. I love this Isaiah 65, 24. God's saying, I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. Well, I can tell you one thing if you're too busy or distracted, you're not going to hear what God is saying. So he might be working, but you're not aware. You don't even know. You don't know what's taking place because you're playing something on your phone or something, or you're watching that YouTube video, or you're looking at grumpy cat memes, and I love grumpy cat memes, but sometimes you just got to put your phone down and connect with God. Philippians 1.6, I am certain that he who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. God's always working. Real simple. Real simple. He is always working. He doesn't have a 40-hour work week. He doesn't check out at the end of the day. He's always watching. He's always hearing. He's always listening. He's always answering. He's always caring. He's always acting. He is always loving. He's always moving. He is always working, and he is always God. Always. So Jesus made that very clear here. God is always working, and so am I. Well, that means you and I should be working too. Number two here, God loves you. God loves you. Very simple. You might think that is too simple. I knew that already. Well, here's the thing, and here's the problem with a statement like this in the world in which we live. The world today has perverted what the word love means. This world does not know anything about real love. It just doesn't. And I'm not talking about Christians versus non Christians or church versus unchurch because there are plenty of loving non believers, just like there are plenty of non loving believers. The world has perverted what love is and what it really means. But we have a responsibility and an obligation to not only receive that love from God. But send that love out and give it and provide it for those who need it. Jesus said right here in this passage, for the father loves the son. Well, if you didn't know, we're brothers and sisters to Christ. Amen. The Bible says that we're co-heirs to his throne. 1 John 3 1 says, see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We're loved by God, and I tell you, not only do we live in a day and age where people don't know what love is, but many people don't know anything about what a father is. We live in a very fatherless time, and we're operating in a very fatherless generation, and there is a world of people that need to know what fatherhood is about and what love is about, and I'm not necessarily talking about a physical genetic fatherhood, but I tell you what. Men and women, we can be spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers to this fatherless generation. And I'm speaking as someone who is a spiritual son of some spiritual fathers. Because I didn't grow up with a dad in my life. I didn't. And the dad that moved into my life was abusive and did things that no man should ever do to any child. And I can tell you, I longed for decades for someone to adopt me spiritually. But I found out who my real father was because of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I know, I can tell you today that I know God loves me. Do you know that God loves you? We know that God showed us what real love is. 1 John 4, 9 and 10, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. I could give you hundreds of scriptures right now that would communicate to you that God loves you. But no matter what words I might say, if it doesn't penetrate into your heart and into your soul, it does no good. You have to recognize in this moment, in your seat, God loves you. He loves you. And even beyond that, you have to recognize that there are coworkers in the next office or the next cubicle. There are students and friends of yours that are down the hall, that are down the street, and they have no idea what love is. And they need you and your knowledge of the love of God to go tell them about it. This world needs the love of God. I told you a moment ago how I know God loves me, but I I question today whether or not you really know God loves you. And I tell you what, if there were half as many Facebook posts about how we, as children of God, know that Father God loves us, as there were about all the other crap that's on Facebook, we would have a greater sphere of influence than we would think is possible. We're too busy communicating our problems and our struggles. And I'm not saying we can't partner with people in prayer, but I'll tell you what, Facebook in its entirety and what it has become, and Twitter, it's become destructive and it's become a distraction for people. Man, what if the people of God just took a different assignment, though? What if the people of God made Facebook their way of communicating God's love about their life to those that are around them? You have, what, 1,298 friends? I don't have 1,298 friends. That's crazy. How many of those friends know that God loves you, though? How many of those friends know what God has done in your life? And I'm not trying to legitimize Facebook as the only way to reach people, but I tell you what, if you're not going to your neighbor down the street, you're probably not doing anything else. I'm just being honest. I know that's tough to hear. If you can't invite your coworker to church, you're probably not really doing anything, and Don't share any more of those if you love God, share this picture memes. I swear. I will unfriend you so fast. I have never seen a picture save somebody, just being honest. It's Jesus, he's holding Coke and wearing a Green Bay Packers helmet. Share if you love God. I guess I don't. People need the love of God. I would encourage you today. If you need to get on Facebook and share something, share what God has done in your life so that those that read it know that God loves you. Don't do it right now. That would be a distraction (laughs) to you and to those around you. God loves you. Number three, God qualifies you to do his work. Verse 20 of John 5, Jesus says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. Now, you might be here this morning and saying, Well, this is Jesus talking. How do I know this scripture applies to me? Well, I'm going to tell you. As I said earlier, we're co-heirs to the throne of Christ. We're his brothers and sisters. We're children of God. We've been adopted to his family. But the Bible also says that we are to be imitators of Christ. In everything you do, Ephesians 5 says, imitate God. Therefore, because you are his dear children. Plain and simple, live a life filled with love. It doesn't say live a life filled with drama and then talk bad about so-and-so behind their back and then post on Facebook. That's not what it says. Live a life filled with love. Are you a child of God? Imitate God. What are you doing that it's imitation of what you saw God doing? Well, I'll tell you what. If you don't know what God's doing, you can't imitate him. What is God doing and what is God saying? If you can't answer those questions, you can't fulfill the scripture. You can't imitate what you don't know about and what you haven't personally witnessed. But Paul tells us still he loved us. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. I could tell you what was not a pleasing aroma, and that was those banana muffins that Aaron was making in that video. <laughs> making people and babies cry. But what is pleasing to God, what is a pleasing aroma is when the people of God, the children of God, live like people of God and children of God. As we imitate Christ, we are fulfilling the call that God has put on us. And it is a pleasing aroma to God. Very simple expectations. You know, there's a story about a guy named Moses in Exodus chapter 3. I don't have to have time to read all of it. It's there. It's in the abbey. You can go open up your Bible later. But he sees this bush. that's on fire. But it's not being burned up. I don't think any of us have ever seen anything like that. I know he hadn't. The Bible says in uh, verse 3, chapter 3, this is amazing. (laughs) I don't feel like amazing is like a great enough word, but really, I mean, how can you accurately depict what God is doing at any given moment? I mean, you know, wow, this bush is on fire and it is not burning up. But here's this encounter with God. And God basically says to Moses, I've got an assignment for you. You're going to go to Pharaoh. You're going to tell him to let my people go. You're going to lead my people out of captivity and into freedom. Moses, in verse 11, protested to God. Now, I'm not saying he went and picketed outside a government building. He probably didn't have time to make a sign. But we all know what the word protest means. He was in 100% disagreement with what God had said in that moment. Here's why. Because he didn't think himself qualified. He didn't. This is his response. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And I love God's response. God is the man God is so simple. He makes this so simple for Moses. He breaks it down. Five words he says to him right here. Verse 12. I will be with you. Amen. That's it. Each of us have many burning bush type moments in our lives. For some of us, it could have happened at salvation. Maybe it was during an altar call. Maybe during worship this morning, I don't know, but we all are qualified to do God's work. Here's why Moses didn't think he was qualified, though he was a murderer. That's what the Bible tells us. He killed someone in cold blood. My favorite character in the Bible is David. David was an adulterer and a murderer you look at the 12 disciples I can't even get into them those guys were messed up they had anger management issues and were compulsive liars and were thieves and would rob people I mean and Jesus surrounded him with the 12 he's like yep you're the ones I mean who would go and pick them out that doesn't that doesn't even make sense but it didn't matter what was behind them all that mattered was what was in front of them People disqualify themselves from God's work because of their past. They do. You and I do that. I've done it. You've done it. But I can tell you, if God can use murderers and liars and cheaters and adulterers, he even used a prostitute at one time in the Bible, if he can use anyone with that kind of past, I can tell you today, he can use you. He can use you, and he qualified you because of his son, Jesus Christ. So today, you might be asking God that same thing. Who am I? How can I do that? God, how, who am I? How am I going to go serve in kids' ministry? I, I don't even like kids, God. If I serve in kids' ministry, well, I, I might be a murderer then. Them kids driving me crazy. And they smell bad. God says, I will be with you. Real simple. Maybe God's telling you that you need to go on a mission trip. You're hearing about it today. I should go on a mission trip. You know what God says? I'll be with you. You qualify. You make the team. Maybe you're supposed to be serving in ministry somewhere. You know what God says? I'll be with you. Maybe you're supposed to go get your ministry degree and work in a church somewhere. You know what God says? I'll be with you. Maybe you're supposed to go reach your neighbors down the street or go talk to that coworker that you know God's been tapping you on the shoulder about for months. Do you know what God's going to say? Go ahead. I'll I'll be with you. It's that simple. You are qualified. God qualifies you to do his work. Number four, the work you do can be even greater than that of Christ. Jesus said here in John 5, verses 20 and 21, In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man, and then you will truly be astonished. He will even raise from the dead anyone he wants to, just as the Father does. John 14, 12-14, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask for me anything in my name and I will do it. Let me tell you what Jesus is not saying here. He's not saying you're gonna do better miracles. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying you're gonna operate in more power. That's not what he's saying. We can read that and say, oh, well, Jesus did all sorts of cool stuff. What am I going to do? i got to one-up this guy. That's not what he's saying. What Jesus is saying is that his ministry was limited to the locale of Judea. He limited himself because that's where he lived. That's where he worked. That's where he reached people. But you and I have an opportunity now today to reach people all the way to the ends of the earth. And that's why he commanded us to do so. It's greater in its reach and in its capacity to change more lives. We bear witness to what is maybe the single greatest miracle of Jesus' ministry in John chapter 11. I don't have time to read it, but there a man named Lazarus dies. He was a friend of Jesus. He was sick. He died. He was dead for four days. Jesus shows up. I love this. In verse 40, he says... Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believed? Jesus preached the kingdom and he preached the glory of God. And we live in a day and age where people need God's kingdom. They need his glory, they need his love. People need to know that they qualify. You don't have to earn God's love, there's nothing you can do that can take you farther away from God's love. Because God is love, and he is everywhere. He's all around. People need to hear this message. Jesus performs this amazing miracle. He shouts, Lazarus, come out of the tomb, and a dead man comes out after four days. How could we top that? Jesus is not asking us to top his miracles. He's asking us to look beyond our locale. He's asking us to look beyond the scope of our personal sphere of influence and realize that there is a world full of people that need his love. That is how we can do greater works. Jesus knew that after he died and he rose again and ascended to heaven, that the Holy Spirit would come. He knew Pentecost was on its way. And he knew that if we had his spirit, we could take his power and his presence to the ends of the earth. And he knew miraculous signs and wonders would follow. And it's not a sign for us. Miraculous signs and wonders, they're a sign for those that don't know God. We live in a world that people need to see examples of God's power on display. We live in a day and age where people need to see miracles. And that may be something crazy, like praying for someone to be healed, and it may happen. But it it also may be something simple, like showing someone what real love is. I would not be standing on this stage today if in 1998, two high school students didn't show up with cookies to my house. I wouldn't be here. Two high school students, they recognized who God was. They recognized the love that God had for them. They recognized their qualification to speak that love out. And they made chocolate chip cookies. And they came over to my house. And they got to know me. And they invited me to church. And I tell you what, I gave my life to God that night. And I'm able to stand here today. I'm able to preach this message because two people were willing to do the uncomfortable. They were willing to do something about the problem. You see, we can complain all we want about the problems of the world, but what are we actually going to do about them? This world needs the love of God. It needs to know that it qualifies. Because of Jesus Christ, he bled and he died He gave of himself so that they could receive love. They could receive this qualification. But it's not going to happen on its own. We've been charged. We've been challenged. We've been commissioned. We've been commanded. Go. Go into all the world. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, may we be obedient, but I'm telling you today, if you're distracted, if you aren't aware of God's promises that are available to you, if you're not aware of his love, if you're not aware of what he's doing, if you don't know what he's speaking, you can't help save anyone, you just can't, God is at work all around us, he's at work in us. And he's charged us with taking that very message to Stephen City and to our state, our country, and the nations of the earth. What is God doing? What is God saying? If you can answer those two questions, and if everything you do and say are in response to the answer to those two questions. You will never go wrong. God, what's your will? God, what am I supposed to do about this circumstance? God, am I supposed to take this job? God, how do I help my kids? Lord, so-and-so needs salvation. If you know what God is doing, if you know what he's saying, you'll know the answer to those questions and every other question, and you'll be able to fulfill the mission that God has for you. Because every decision you make will be rooted in those very things.